Morning, family. It's so uh, wonderful that we get to celebrate just the wonderful diversity that makes up this beautiful nation and indeed even our beautiful community at the church here. And uh, it's an honor of that that I'm wearing this shirt today just to say what a beautiful nation we have, what a beautiful country with people, not only South African people, but people from all over the world that live here and make this their home and make this such a unique and beautiful and wonderful place. So can we just thank the Lord for the diversity that we can enjoy? As a nation and even in our church, you see it or saw it on that beautiful clip also, just the so many people that make up this beautiful community of ours and we're really deeply thankful for it. And uh, thank you again just also from my side for everybody that contributed towards the Spring Fest that made it such a beautiful day, not only outside but inside here, the, the worship, the service that was so wonderful and so many stories that we heard shared, it was, was really very, very beautiful. Um, I want to share this morning, and uh, the title of the message, I, I chose quite so carefully, and the title being Extraordinary Happiness, and particularly in the fact of the, of the legal case that we had and the law that was passed this week, so that I felt it was necessary to talk about what really brings happiness, and that happiness doesn't come from a plant, you know, some of you going, do, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, not too well, I hope. Just because you heard about it from somebody else, you're not running around looking for seeds that you can plant now or anything like that, but uh, I, the title of today is Extraordinary Happiness, and I want to talk about a happy life, and what does it mean to have a happy life, and how do we gain happiness in this life? And um, you know, this is a very often spoken about topic, as many people talk about this, and because every one of us, we want to have a happy life. Anybody here today in this auditorium or listening on, on YouTube, on the radio, YouTube, that does not want a happy life? Anybody? Just, you want to put your hand up? We just want to make sure, because you could already be smoking the stuff that <laughs> we shouldn't be. We all want a happy life, don't we? So I think this topic this morning will be relevant to, to every one of us. Lots have been said and lots have been written about how to have a happy life. Um, a guy by the name of Stephen Fields wrote, actually wrote a book, How to Live a Good Life. And um, in, he said in this book, there's three buckets in your life that you have to invest in. If you keep pouring into these three buckets, then you will have a happy and a good life. And he called these three buckets connection, being connected with other people and with life, contribution, making a difference, and vitality, having energy and passion for life. Mark Twain offered nine tips about how to live a happy life. I'll just read them to you quickly. Approve of yourself was the first. Second, your limitations are in your mind. Third, lighten up and have some fun. Fourth, let go of anger. Five, release yourself from entitlement. Six, if you keep taking a different path, prepare for reactions. Seven, keep your focus on what you want. Eight, don't focus so much on making yourself feel good. Nine, do what you want to do. Some of those seem to conflict with each other, but those were Mark Twain's ideas about how to have a happy life. Lillian Gish wrote and said, a happy life is one spent in learning, earning, and yearning. But I think a guy by the name of Gavin Rosdale sort of gave us the best idea. A happy wife is a happy life. <laughs> it's the one I personally described, uh, subscribe to the most. A happy wife is a happy life. 
We all have ideas. Every person on this planet wants to live a happy life. In order to have a happy life, we seek out that which we consider to be good. The more good things you have in your life, the better your chances are of having a happy life. So goodness and happiness are very closely related to one another. As I was reading in this week and just considering just the scripture and what the Lord is busy saying among us, and, and um, you know, I listened to Pastor Latolo's sermon and Neil's sermons, and I, I felt they did a really great job of Mark chapter 8 and just unpacking Mark 8 for us. And, but I, I went back and read through Mark 8 this week, and, and I thought of thought, we finished with it, we're going to move on. But as I was reading it, stuff was still arresting my heart, and I felt we're not quite finished with Mark chapter 8. And uh, so I'm going to go right back into Mark chapter 8 and, and talk a little bit about from that. And I want to encourage you, if you haven't spent personally time reading Mark 8, and particularly from verse 34 to 38, but please read the whole chapter. Context is so important. But if you haven't done it, can I ask you, please spend a bit of time in Mark 8. And consider for yourself personally, what does it mean? Deny yourself, take up your cross, follow Jesus. What is God saying to you in this season? As Pam just said, you know, we've got to learn to say yes. And that sometimes means we say no to certain things. But what is God asking you to say yes to? What are new things that God is busy introducing into your life and challenging you with and asking of you? And let's consider those things together. But So if you don't mind, I'm going to read Mark 8 verse 34 to 38 again. And um, I really hope that it sticks with us, that it becomes a marker in our spirits as a community, these words that Jesus said. Mark 8, verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul if anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation? The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. I know when Pastor Latoro spoke, he made a, a big point of, of mentioning this, that Jesus says, whosoever, whosoever. This is not a portion of Scripture for a select few. This is not a certain group that Jesus is talking to. It's not more relevant to some and less, re less, less relevant to others. He's not speaking to a certain age group. He's not speaking to a certain gender or a, or a, or a certain national group. He says, whosoever. Are you part of whosoever? Are you included in this? Whosoever. Jesus speaks to every person. He says, whosoever. And then he starts making some really definitive statements about life. The one I want to focus on a little bit this morning is there where Jesus says, whosoever or whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Wow, what a statement. Now, Jesus is not talking here in a, in a context of a situation where somebody's life is feeling threatened and they're having to save their life in that sense of, you know, escape some death or doom or tragedy. He's basically saying that when he says the words, whosoever wants to save their life, he's saying, whoever wants to build for themselves a happy life, whoever wants to escape the dangers, the tragedies, the, the struggles of this world, and construct for themselves a good 
life, a happy life, and fill their lives with good things. So he says, whoever wants to have a good life will lose it. What a statement. He's basically saying the harder you try to be happy, the more unhappy you will become. The more good you seek for in this world, the less good you will find. The harder you work at constructing and building for yourself a life that gives you purpose and meaning, a life that, is, that you enjoy, the further you'll get away from it. Now that's quite a statement. I think that's a statement that when I hear him say that, it arrests my heart and I stop and I say, okay, this is important stuff that he's talking about now. He, he's saying really something fundamental about life, about how we live our lives. He's not, he's not saying if you want to have a good life, just you know, support a better football team. Like mine at the moment seems to be not doing so well and I'm not looking at the Liverpool supporters around it, getting way too comfortable. Yes, Mark, I know. He's not saying something peripheral. He's saying, if you want to have a good life, listen to what I'm saying. Who of you wants to have a good life? We, we determined earlier, everybody. So what Jesus says we should all pay attention to, we should all sit up and listen right now and say, okay, Lord, help me understand what you're saying. This is, this is very important. This is the crucial kind of stuff that Jesus talks about. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. I don't want to lose my life. I don't want to lose the opportunities for goodness. I don't want to lose, lose out on any of the wonderful things that I can experience and enjoy. Lord, I don't want to lose out. So I want to listen. Not only does he say who wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. So he's not giving up on the idea that a good life is possible, that happiness is possible. He's not saying you can't have it. He's just saying there's a different path that you have to take to get there. Whoever loses their life for my sake and for the gospel will find it. Jesus wants you to find life. He wants you to have a good life. Didn't Jesus say in John 10, I have come that you may have life and life in abundance. He's not against you having a good life. He's absolutely for you having a good life. He wants you to have a great life. He wants you to have good things and he wants you to be happy in this life. But he's just saying this morning, it's not going to happen the way you think it's going to happen. You probably think this is the way to happiness. I'm telling you, it's completely the opposite direction that you've got to go. You have to reorientate your thinking and change the way you approach life if you want to get to what is truly good and happy and what will give you happiness. And he says, and he introduces to us, he says, if you want to have it, you have to give your life to Jesus or for Jesus and for the gospel. In other words, what he's saying is, if you're living for your happiness, you will lose it. If you live for his happiness, you will find yours. Your joy, your happiness, your good life is a byproduct of something else that you seek. And this is challenging for us. I mean, that's probably one of the biggest steps of faith Jesus can ask anybody to take. To say, stop, stop working so hard to get for yourself all the good that you want. 
Give up on that idea. Let me do it for you. That's challenging. That's not an easy thought that he says to us. Now, when I read this, something echoes in my mind that came about earlier in Scripture, one of the writers of Scripture that spoke about this and actually was in a great position to comment on this thought of Jesus. And this is Solomon. King Solomon, as you will know, encountered God and God said to him, if you, whatever you ask me, I'll give you. And he said, Lord, I want wisdom. And the Lord said, because you asked me for wisdom to be a good ruler of your people, I will also give you power and wealth. So God abundantly blessed Solomon. He became the wealthiest person of the day. He became the wisest ruler, the most powerful. He was the top of the tree. He had everything. He, he didn't have to deny himself anything. And he actually did that as this really blessed person, as this you know, person that was the epitome of, of being blessed. He said, well, now I'm in a position where I'm not going to sp spare anything. I'm going to allow myself all the pleasures and joys of life. So he imported from all over the world all the, the remarkable animals, and, and, and he went around and set people around to find all the great writings of the world and, and all the wisdom, and he collected it. He collected gold. He, he built his palaces and his buildings from materials that he sourced from all over the world. He, he even married a thousand women. Now, to some people, that may sound like just looking for trouble. But he said, I'm not going to spare myself anything I want. I'm going to have. And he, and he chose the be most beautiful women throughout that he could find. He, he had the best artisans and musicians, the best architects. He, he, he amassed for himself the best possible life that you could imagine. Anything you would define as a necessity in terms of having a happy life, he said, I'm going to get it. And he did it. And then in Ecclesiastes 1, as he gets a little older in his life, he writes this. These very encouraging words, Ecclesiastes 1 verse 1. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Now, if a person who lacks or has very little in life says that, it means something else. Then when the wealthiest person who spared themselves nothing, says, all of this that I've got is meaningless, has no value. What do people gain from all the labors at which they toil under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, everything returning to its course. He's looking at life and he says, I've worked so hard to get all of this stuff, but I'm recognizing that soon I will pass on and everything that I have will just be recycled and, and be given to others again. There's this cycle to life where it just seems that in the long run, what does it mean? In verse 16 of the same chapter, he writes, I said to myself, look, I have increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to the understanding of wisdom and also of madness and folly. But I learned this, that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. He knew everything. He was Google before there was Google. 
with Solomon. If you wanted to know something, just phone him up. He had the libraries. He had all the collections of wisdom from every culture, every place. He collected it all. He was really this, this library of knowledge. He says, but it's... He had all the information about what good is, and yet it didn't produce for him happiness. I mean, we, we should in our generation and in our time really pay attention to this portion of Scripture. Because our, we're living from, through this philosophy right now that the more knowledge you have, the happier you will be. And we're starting to see that that's not true. We're coming to the reality that the more knowledge you have doesn't make you happier it tends to actually do the opposite. And we're starting to discover what Solomon here said. The more knowledge, the more grief. You know, studies have revealed that right now, the loneliest people on this earth is not what it used to be. It used to be that the older people, the, those that have you know, retired and, and that are not so healthy and strong anymore, they would generally have been considered, and over, over all generations, they were always the lonely people. They were in a place where they were more susceptible to loneliness. Do you know who's the loneliest people on our planet right now? 18 to 22-year-olds. They are the wealthiest generation that have ever lived. They have the most access to information. They're the most connected, yet they're the loneliest. He who seeks to save his life will lose it. If we go back to the words of Jesus, he says, what does it gain you to give everything, to gain this whole world and to forfeit your soul? You can have everything this world offers. It doesn't equal to the value of your soul. What Jesus in one sense is saying, he's saying you can take all the wealth, and this is what Solomon experienced. You can take all the wealth of this world. You can pile it all together. It doesn't equate to the value of one soul from God's perspective. God is literally saying your soul and my soul is worth more than all the wealth of this earth. You can pile it all up. You can have all the good things. You can, you can live a life where you gather everything like Solomon did. It will not buy you your soul because your soul's price is much more than that of all the wealth of this world. If there's little children in this building, can you just close their ears for a moment? If you can. Or sing loudly to them, because I need to tell you a story that, that uh, cut it out or something. I don't know what you need to do, but there's a website, a couple of websites, evidently. I read an article about this. Where young ladies sell their virginity to the highest bidder. So the story was told of a lady in, in, uh, in Europe that went online and made herself available. And she said, to the highest bidder, you will have the privilege of spending the first night with me. A, a professional footballer paid $1.7 million for the privilege to spend that night with her. her. Her comment was, it's her body. She can do with it what she wants. And at least she's made $1.7 million. Now the problem is she just set her value. 
She just said, this is what I'm worth, 1.7 million. Now, she, she may think that that's a lot. She may think that she has just won the jackpot. She would probably not have in any other way, in such a quick way, amassed so much money. But can I tell you from Jesus' perspective, she just gave herself away cheaply. Because he says you are far worth far more than that. Far more than that. How do we know how much worth we have? The only place you can see that begins to give you an, an inclination of your value is the cross. Because your value ultimately is what somebody's prepared to pay for you, and that's what Jesus was prepared to pay. Now, it included all of humanity, but he had every one of us say, this is your value. This is the value I've set upon you. Now, do you and I live our lives like that? Do we look at ourselves and say, this is my value. This is the value that I have. And nothing of this world can equal my value. So if I give myself to anything this world offers, I am shortchanging myself. Even if it is to all the wealth, all the fame, all the power of this world, I'm shortchanging myself. You will not find anything on this earth that equals your value. This is what Jesus says. He says, what does it benefit you to give your, to gain this whole world and forfeit your soul? So when he says, he who finds his life will lose it, or he who saves his life will lose it, he stands on that foundation of that value that he ascribes to you. He's not talking about some cheap matter. He's not talking about some bargain thing that you can find at a 50% discount sale. He's talking about your life. He sets such a high value on you that he says, the only way you can find it is in me. Last Sunday, I, I, I mentioned this story in Mark 10 of the rich man that came to Jesus. And I want to just go back there quickly. In Mark 10 verse 17, this, we read the story. As Jesus went out into the street, a man came running up, greeted him with great reverence and asked, good teacher, what must I do to get eternal life? Jesus said, why are you calling me good? No one is good, only God. What this man comes is he runs up to Jesus and he says, Lord, I want so much good in this world that it'll actually sustain me for eternity. How can I amass good in this life? To the point that it will carry over into eternity. That I will have enough good to give me a happy life all the way for eternity. That's what he asked Jesus. How do I get access to so much good that I can have happiness? Not only on this earth, but for all eternity. And typical what Jesus does, he answers his question with a question. Why do you call me good? What's that got to do with anything? You see, what Jesus is saying to this man, he says, you've come to the right place to ask this question. Because if you want to ask a question about good, there's only one that is good. So it's right that you've come to the one that is good to ask the question about good. And how do you get goodness? And then Jesus says, because only God is good. Do you know that in this world there's a lot of good? You can get a lot of good everywhere, but there's only one that is all good. Every good that you get in this world will add to it a little bit of sorrow. Will add to it a little bit of grief. 
will cost you something, will demand of you something. It is only God that when you go to God and you say, Lord, give me good, He gives you only good because He is all good. All goodness is summed up in Him. So while I may find good in this world and build a happy life based on the good of this world, in that good is a little bit of brokenness, is a little bit of death, is a little bit of sorrow. But when I come to God and I say, Lord, give me good, when I receive from Him, doesn't the Scripture says, it adds no sorrow. Adds no sorrow. He's the only one that is all good. So when this young man comes and stands before Jesus and he says, Lord, tell me how to live a good life that is so good that even when I've died, it'll still give me goodness for eternity. Jesus says to him, you've come to the right place to ask the question because only God can give you that level of goodness. And then what does he tell the, 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 the rich man to do? Sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And the scripture says his face fell because he had much. You see, he already tasted a lot of the good of this world. He started enjoying the good of this world, not only in, in money, but also in that he lived a good life. He, he was a good person. He had good moral standard. He had, he had good religious practices. He had enough good that when Jesus said, give, give all your good away because the good of this world is not gonna get you there. If you want that level of goodness, it's not, you're not going to get there from the good of this world. Let me show you the good that you must live. Give up. He said, I can't, it, I can't do it. If you, Tim Keller tells a story of if you have three swimmers and you put a task before them and you say to them, you've got to swim from the coast of California to Hawaii. Now, I don't know how many hundreds of kilometers or thousands of kilometers that is, but it's impossible. It's not swimming the Valdam, it's a little bit more than that. Even the Midmar Mile, it's a bit more than that. So if you put that before three swimmers, one is an Olympic swimmer, one is a reasonably good swimmer, and the other one is a really terrible swimmer. If they attack that job with all the power and energy they have, if they don't get rescued, they're gonna die. The Olympic swimmer may swim 500 kilometers before he dies, or she dies, but she'll die. The good swimmer may swim five kilometers before they drown, but they'll drown. The poor swimmer may swim one kilometer before they drown, but they'll drown. And it doesn't matter how far they got, they'll be equally dead. You can live a good life on this earth and get 500 kilometers worth of goodness, but when you die, you're dead. You can swim and get five kilometers of goodness out of this life, but when you're dead, you're dead. You can be a poor person that lives a poor life and that in terms of all aspects of life really don't get much, but when you're dead, you're as dead as the guy who got 500 worth out. At the end of the day, there's only one that has the goodness that not only gives us for this life, but sustains us for eternity. And the only way we can find that the only way we can find that, is Jesus says, is you will not find it. No matter how hard you work for it, you, it, no matter if you try and be the Olympic swimmer, every day swimming, every day practicing, every day doing the right things, having all the disciplines, you can get a lot of good out of this life, but it's not going to be good enough. 
The only way you can get the good that will produce for you the happiness that you deserve according to your value is let go of this world. Follow me. What a thought. If you try and save your life, you will lose it. You'll get somewhere, but you won't get everywhere. You won't get to go the distance. Only God is good enough. Only God has the good. So what does this mean? Now, I want to do something this morning that I don't always like to do, but if you'll allow me, I want to take this and apply it to me personally. If this is true, what does it mean for me? Me as a person, me, me as an individual, Louis, me. What does this mean to me? How do I live my life in response to what Jesus says? And I want to propose three things. The secret to Louis' happiness is first of all, I must stop to try and save my life. I must give up on the idea that I can save my life. Now, what does that mean? You see, every one of us has desires. And our desires, our ability to desire is given to us by God. It's not an evil thing, it's a good thing. And we all have desires for good things. We, we all have a pretty good idea of what are the things that we need. And I have a pretty good idea of what are the things that I want from life that I will feel will give me a good life. Now, it may be different than what you feel, but I've got an idea. These are the things that I want from life. And when, when life goes according to my pattern and according to what I think, and if I'm getting enough of what I think is good, then I feel happy. Now Jesus says to me, Louis, stop trying to build the life that you think will make you happy. Stop it. Just two words. Stop it. Let me apply this very personally. As a parent, it's probably one of the most often that I get confronted with a desire for good because I have such strong desires to, for my children to do well in life, to have a good life. And I know certain things that they need that I think will give them an opportunity for a good life. Education, acceptance, love, health, provision, good relationships, you know, all of these things are the things that I think, man, if they can have enough of this, they will have a good life. And so I'm a parent. I have been given the responsibility. I've been put in a position where I can help them get the maximized opportunity for those good things in their life. So my desire for their goodness is very powerful, and, and I work and I do what I can to get them to the good that they want. The problem is just, if they're dependent on my idea of goodness, then they're dependent on a very limited idea of goodness. And secondly, they're dependent on my limited abilities to give them goodness. And then I will probably confine them to my ideas of goodness. And so often my ideas of what good are, are shaped by the things I wanted in life and could never get. Like if I wanted to be a great rugby player, which I didn't, by the way. I gave up on that idea very early. But let's say I wanted to be a great rugby player, but now I, I didn't make it. But now I've got four sons, man. Surely one of them, I've got an opportunity here. I've got a chance. 
You know, so when they're five years old, I put them in for billiki rugby. How many of you have watched those dads at the rugby? And there's this little five-year-old guy, and, and he doesn't even know which direction he's got to run in. He, he doesn't even know what to do with his ball once they give it to him. But, but the dad doesn't see a five-year-old with the ball. The dad sees a springbok. Because the dad wanted to be a springbok. And he just couldn't get it, so this is my chance. How many of you know our desires for our children can be very dangerous? I had one son play rugby for one year so far. Liam? No, it's not going to happen. My desire, as good as it may be, is filled with holes and dangers. So what must I do with those desires? Is it wrong to have those desires? No, but what I do is what the writer of the Proverbs says. Acknowledge the Lord in all of your ways. The psalmist writes, Delight yourself in the law of the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. Jesus said in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom of God. So I take all of these desires. Whenever I have a desire for some goodness, I say, Lord, I give you this desire. You shape this desire. I, trust, I don't trust myself with this desire. I trust this desire to you. Now, can I tell you that as a life, the disciple's life is discovering every day all the things that you are trying to do for yourself and not trusting God. Not giving Him the right to shape what your desire should be. Because the second thing is, first, I must stop saving my life, and, but secondly is I must allow Him to save me. I need to be saved, not only in terms of my salvation, but I need to be saved in order to have the life that God intended me to live. I cannot do it on my own. I need Him. So when I stop, deny myself all the things that I think is right and trying to construct the life that I think is good, and I step in and I say, Lord, I'm going to give it to you. You give me the life. I'm exchanging my best efforts for his best efforts. How many of you know that's not a stupid deal to make? That's what Neil said. We don't just say no to things in this world. We say no so that we can say yes. The focus is on saying yes. God has got so much more for me. He wants to give me what he knows he created me for, which will ultimately give me the great life. He wants to give me happiness. But he's the only author that can give me happiness. It's not possible. So again, what does that mean to me practically? One of the things that I've noticed about myself over these almost 50 years that I've known myself is that I like life pretty small. I like to keep life where I can control it. I'm a person that finds much more joy in quality than in quantity. So if you leave me to my own designs, I try and consistently make my life smaller because I want to have a sense of what I'm doing, I'm doing right and I'm doing properly and I'm doing well. I don't like the feeling of there's anything that I'm doing that I don't fully have control over, so it, it may go skewed, it may go wrong. So I've always tried to make our lives, as a family even, I've, I've confined it. I, we work according to a very strict budget, so that we never come into places where, where, we, where, where there's things that we don't control. The way we plan our family lives, the way we do things, we, we keep it reasonably small. I mean, for a long period of time, my, my travel circle was about seven kilometers. Between office, school, my mom, Natasha's parents, we, the most we traveled was seven kilometers. 
I loved life like that. Because I could sort of, I just had a feeling I've got, I've got it covered. When we were, in 1999, we bought our first house. Back in the days when normal people could still buy houses. We paid 200,000 rand for our first house. It was quite a big house, quite an older house, but a big house. And we loved our house. It was a great house to raise our children in. It took us about nine years and we paid off our house. We did some extra work to it, so it took a little longer. But because I'm like that, I you know, plan and keep things small. I never wanted that feeling that, that somebody's going to meddle with me financially and take, you know, anything can happen. Nobody's going to take, I want to pay off my house, then I know I've got final control. So we paid off our house and I went, yes, praise God. Now it's my house. I've got control over it. Nobody can say nothing. Bank can't take it away if something happens. And I've got money at the end of the month. We can just live life and not be under the stress and pressure anymore. It took about Four months, as I was praying one day, make this mistake of praying every now and then. <laughs> the Lord spoke to me one of those key moments in my life. He said, Louis, you are way too young to just live off your previous 40-something years of labor. You need to invest more for the future. You need to buy another house. I said, no, Lord. Scripture says, you know, we must be, you know, just small and you know we live in a country so many people don't have homes I don't think it's right that I buy another house it's not right I've went through all of those battles the Lord just kept saying you need to buy another house eventually somebody comes to us and offers us a house we weren't even looking for it it's more than we could afford they keep on bringing their price down till we can afford it I said okay Lord perhaps you so we buy another house eventually sold our house to pay that but I wasn't happy because suddenly I didn't have everything controlled anymore. I was very happy. Planted a church, led this reasonably sized church in Centurion, smaller church. I had quality of relationships. I knew everybody in the church. I, I, I had control over my leadership decisions. If I made a decision, I could quickly see the effect that it had on somebody and I could deal with it and correct it. There were the chances of things happening unintendedly was very small. I felt like I was doing a good job. I had it under control. And the Lord comes and says, there's more. I go, Lord, really? <laughs> really, I'm very happy. Really, I'm, I'm, being, I'm not being funny. This is me, personal story. I'm really happy, Lord. I don't want to be, you know, I'd rather want to make a deep impact in a few people and do well. Lord says, that's great, but it's not what I have for you. And you know the rest of the story. And as I journey, I find new happiness and I find, wow, the Lord actually knew after all that this is far better for me. And the good that he brings. But he stretches you, doesn't he? Now, you may be different. I don't know what your story is. But God wants to define the life that he wants you to live. And he's going to wrestle with you. He's going to pull you. He's going to jostle you into places that you go, Lord, surely if you love me, you won't do this. He says, but because I love you. And you did say, after all, Lord, not my will be done, but your will. Didn't you say that? The last thing. First, I must stop trying to save my life. I must allow him to save my life. 
so that I get to live in His glory. The word glory is is a word that we sometimes may find a little difficult to understand. But you know the word glory is just the highest form of goodness. Remember when Moses said to the Lord, Lord, show me your glory. What did the Lord say to him? He said, Moses, I'm going to put you in the cleft in Exodus 33 verse 18. I'm going to hide you and then I'm going to let my goodness pass before you. Glory is that which you think is the greatest good becomes glory. Every person on this planet lives for glory. For something that they've defined as the highest good, the greatest thing possible. In our culture now, we often glorify, we draw attention to, we put hope, we put expectation on celebrities, on wealthy people, and we say, they represent the best. We glorify. If we can have a life like that, if I can in some way live like that, then my life must be good. So we have people nowadays spend lots of time and energy and money in trying to appear like they've got a glorified life. They eat at the right restaurants, with wearing the right clothes, with the right people in the right places all over the world and take social media photos and plaster it for everybody to see to say, look, I am living a glorious life. You know, in our generation when we were young, when you took a photo, when you went somewhere like a Drakensberg, you took a photo of the mountain. And, you, and if you shared it with people, we didn't have social media. So when you got home, you showed it to your friends and family. You showed them the mountain. Wow, what a glorious mountain. Not no, no more. All you see is my face and a small little bit of the mountain in the background. Look at the glory. Because it's self-referential. It's about us trying to appear like we've got these glorious lives. There's nothing in this world that you can gain that will give you the glory of God. Only Jesus can give you His glory. Only Jesus. He who was in glory left glory so that He can bring us back into His glory. He was broken so that we can be made whole. He was denied, gave up a home, gave up His family so that we could get a home and a family. That's why Jesus said, Leave your father and mother, follow me. He wasn't against fathers and mothers. He was just saying, even your father and mother cannot give you what I want to give you. Included in the deal will be your father and mother. But I've got so much more for you. Do you want to live God's glory? Not just a good life. Not just a happy life. Jesus didn't come and die on a cross so that you can taste happiness. So that you can experience some form of goodness. Jesus died on a cross so that you can have all goodness. So that you can step into His glory. That you can experience life the way He experiences it. That's what He came in. So when He says, follow me, give up all this stuff and follow me. So often for us, we think, oh, I've got to give it up. Oh, no. Ouch, Lord, I don't want to really give that up. I worked so hard. I don't want to give it up, Lord. From his perspective, he's saying, man, just give that rubbish up so that I can give you this great stuff that I've got for you. 
And that's why this life is a life of faith. You have to let go of the visible to gain the invisible, the material for the eternal. But in this life, He already begins that transaction with us. Won't you stand with me? Sean, can we do Hosanna? Is that okay? I'd like us to sing that song that we sang earlier, Hosanna. Because in that song, it speaks about this exchange that we do. It speaks about the glory of the Lord. Can we just take this opportunity this morning? I know this is a community and we focused on community. We focused on the we. As Sean said earlier with that song that we sang, you know, about the, the grapes and the, prushing and, and the cr- crushing and the pressing. But just for this morning, for this moment, I want you to be quite individual in your thoughts right now. You. And say, Lord, thank you for the great life that you have come to give me. Help me, Lord, to let go so that I can pick up. To say no so that I can say yes. I want to trust you, Lord. I don't know what that means for you in your life. I don't know what the Spirit is stirring in you. But can we this morning just come in that place of worship? You know, when we worship the Lord, it's when we say, Lord, you deserve it all. You're the highest. And thank you that I can open my life to you and say, Lord, bring me into your glory. And the way the Lord brings us into his glory is he he renews our minds that we don't desire the things of this world, but that we desire what he has. Romans 12, Paul writes, he says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. In our times of worship, in our times with the word, he transforms our thinking and our expectations gets enlarged and we get to believe for more. Can we do that this morning in a time of just this one song of worship as we end this service? So just open your heart to the Lord right now and let's worship him. Thank you, Sean. Hosanna in the highest Hosanna 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 in the high Hosanna 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 Washing over all our 
I thank you for every single individual person here. Lord, I thank you that you have greater plans for us that we could ever imagine. We can't even begin to think what you have called us to, Lord, why you've created us. And Lord, I pray that as your followers, you would help us, that we will follow you all the way. That we will not sell ourselves short, Lord, that we will not settle for less, that we will not find some place of happiness and say, that's enough, but that we will know the value that we have in you, Lord, and that nothing in this world will satisfy, Lord. We get some satisfaction from the things of this world, but ultimately, Lord, we are only satisfied in you, Lord Jesus. And Lord, I pray for every person. I pray, Lord, that they would be an ability, a willingness, a readiness in each person to say yes, Lord. To say yes, Father. And when it comes to being, having to say no so that they can say yes, they would always have that perspective of God has got more for me than I could ever think. Thank you, Lord, for what you've done in my life and for the amazing things that I've in, received from you. Thank you for my privilege to be part of this awesome community and for our family to be part of this great community and these amazing people and to see what you're doing in this body and in this church, Lord. What a privilege for us, Lord. And you gave it to us. And so I pray for every person that they would be able to say, God is saving my life. God is inviting me into his glory. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. If you want us to pray with you this morning, you're welcome to come to the front and any of our team will pray with you. If you just want to come and there's some area of your life where you want to submit it to the Lord Jesus, let us pray with you. It may be even that you're here today and you've never given your life to Jesus. You've never put him in the driving seat and say, Lord, I want what you've got. Then come and let us pray with you and do that. There's baptism going to happen after the service in the functions hall to my right. But may the Lord be with you in this week. May He bless you. May His Spirit be upon you. And may He lead you into the broad and wide open spaces that He has for you. Even if sometimes that goes through a bit of a time of struggle, He's leading you to a beautiful place. The Lord bless you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.